in our Lenten series on the seven deadly sins, it has not been our plan or purpose to make the weight of them oppressive, but rather to give insight as to how these things plague us and cause us trouble. As we've said, they are not the most they are dangerous sins. They are not the worst of sins, but they give us a window into the heart, and they help us to understand how it is that we work and what it is that we need. This morning we come to the sixth of the seven deadly sins, that of wrath and anger. And as we approach this subject, we must acknowledge all of us that ever since the days of Cain and Abel. This has been a problem, not only for unbelievers, but for Christians. How do I handle my anger? Where, do I, where does it come from, and what should I do with it? Very practical, really. And so this morning, we turn to that subject. As we do, I invite you to take pages 6 and 7 of your bulletin in hand, and also to listen now as we hear the Word of God written, read from Genesis 27 and Hebrews 12. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing him. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. From Hebrews. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather heal. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who, for a single meal, sold his inheritance rights to the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. May we pray. Our Lord, we acknowledge before you today our need to get a handle on our anger. For in some cases it's grown to bitterness. In other cases it's caused great discord and broken relationships. And it certainly has impacted our relationship with you. And so we pray that we might understand and apply your word in this way and that you might help us where we have sought help before we have not found it, for we have sought it in ourselves. But we seek now help regarding our anger management from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's begin with this maxim. 
Anger is a terrible problem. It's hidden. It's impolite. It's shielded. It's diffused. But it's there. And it will control you if you don't control it. It will take over your life. It will consume you. So how do we handle it? We are told that the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians 5 include things like hatred, a synonym for anger, and fits of rage. It's an expression of the sinful nature and the old man to allow these things to come to the surface. And when we see them, almost always, as we shall see, they are the result of sin. Furthermore, Paul lists these lists as one of the most serious under the rivalry sins having to do with our relationships with other people. Greed, gluttony, lust may only affect ourselves, but anger always is expressed against someone else. It always impacts a relationship or a person in a very practical and painful way. Paul says, or the the author of Hebrews says, the opposite of anger is living in peace. But let's look at first what makes us angry. Number one, anger is always tied to what is most important to you. It is an outgrowth of love, for it rouses you to defend what you most deeply care about. Things that you don't love don't drive you to anger when they are threatened. Things you love a lot make you very angry when they are threatened. Anger becomes a chain that ties us to what is most important to us. Indeed, our expressions of anger are a window into our hearts. And when something makes us furious, it betrays what is the most important to us. Now, the Bible does leave room for righteous anger. And part of the anger that we express is done as we are made in the image of God. But we begin this message looking at the unrighteous anger that we all are so familiar with, having been directed against us and in our own lives. And if you're going to understand it, you have to understand this point. What makes you angry, what makes me angry, what makes other people angry is because they love something that's been threatened. Their reputation their patience, their affection and love for you. It's been tested. It's being called upon. And if you threaten what they love, you'll hear about it. We have many illustrations even from nature. The the mother and her cubs threaten the children whom she loves, at least in an animalistic way, And she will defend herself, and she will become quite angry. A normally placid animal will become very vicious and protective. In the same way, we have these loves buried deep within us. Loves which have become inordinate in their size. Good things, as a mother would protect her cubs, but sometimes loved too much, too vicious. Anger is always tied to what is most important to you. So as you self-diagnose, as you look at yourself on those occasions when you become angry, you have to ask yourself, why am I angry? What is it about my life that is being threatened here? For many of us, it's the matter of control. We want control. 
We do everything we can to achieve and to sustain it. And when that control is threatened, we lash out. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to, you're not going to change my schedule. I had this planned, and now you want me to do that? No way. I had my eyes on that person or that thing, and now you say you want it? What makes us angry betrays what we love the most. What is it for you? You may not even know, but anger can be a diagnostic tool to help you see. When you feel the anger rising, when you feel injurious toward others or to lash out verbally, stop back and say, what is it that I love? And do I love it too much? Secondly, the Bible says that anger as such is not a sin in itself. In Ephesians 4, quoting Psalm 4, he says, anger, in, your, in your anger do not sin. So all anger is not unrighteous. In fact, God, angry against sin expresses his, his reasons and, and, his, and his anger in a righteous way. We can be angry and sin not. Some things should make us angry. Christianity is not stoicism. We're not called to never express emotion where righteousness is concerned. If you are never angry, then you value your equilibrium and your self-control more than you do righteousness. Some things anger God. And they should also anger us. There are legitimate causes of anger in the scripture. Injustice, unfairness, partiality, prejudice, brutality, tyranny, falsehoods, and on. There is a standard in the scripture that God has given to us. And he upholds that standard and he expects us to uphold it. And when others don't, A response of anger is legitimate. Now remember, I'm not saying violence, for vengeance is his to repay, as we see in a moment, but all anger is not wrong. And as I say, if you are never angry, then you value your equilibrium and your self-control over righteousness. Some things should upset us. Some things are not right, cosmically and deeply not right. And so as parents, we teach our children, that's not right. And I'm not happy about it when you do that. Just as the Father says to us that he is displeased when we break his word. Indeed, Romans 12 says, hate what is evil. Strong language. And this little section here should be Jude 23. You should be hating even the clothing that's stained by corrupted flesh. So hatred and anger against unrighteousness is proper. But that's usually not what causes the difficulty. What usually causes the difficulty is that my anger is very revealing and embarrassing because it's misplaced. So I say, what is it that makes you the most furious? When you know what that is and when you see what that is in yourself, then you have to take steps to handle anger, that so-called anger management. First of all, be aware of the anger in your life. I've said that before, let me say it again. 
When you're angry, that's an indicator of something. What is it? Is it righteous or unrighteous anger? What's the, what's the source of it? Am I lashing out because somebody threatened me and something very close to me? Or am I lashing out because of unrighteousness? Don't let a bitter root grow as we read in this passage. Genesis, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. Anger can be suppressed and held within. Roots are invisible, but they're there. We don't want to believe that we are angry people. We don't want to believe it ourselves or let others see it. But it comes out. Even if you are able to stop from a violent and strong anger, angry reaction, cynicism, bitterness, resentment, it can control you in those ways. And we are warned in the Scriptures not to let it. Like it or not, first step towards healing is to admit that it's there. Maybe you don't find yourself being outwardly angry and expressive, but maybe you feel this cynicism and inward bitterness that is also related to it. The kind of deep inner struggle that comes from unresolved relationships and circumstances. And as I said, secondly, ask yourself, what am I defending? Go underneath and say, why has this thing become so important to me? How am I being godless in my responses? Why? I need to put God first in my life. Now, we haven't time this morning, but Jeremiah 45 is a nice, short, brief chapter in which God comes to Baruch and says, why have these things become so important to you? Why am I not the one? How is it that these other things have risen up around you that anger you? Why am I not the one whom you love? What am I defending? Why am I lashing back in anger? Thirdly, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That's what the writer in Hebrews says again in verse 15. Grace and bitterness oppose and prevent each other. Prolonged anger can distort your life by degrading your understanding and your application of grace. But they have wronged me. How can I make them pay, we say? In other words, they are forfeiting the grace of God because they've irritated me. And now I'm going to bring the wrath of God through me down upon them. They have wronged me. I demand recompense. I need, I, I need to have it made right. But remember, Jesus did not make you pay. If you keep this up, you will just get poorer and poorer. So tell them, as Jesus did on the cross, it's finished, it's okay. I will not make you pay. Jesus did not make, pay, make me pay, so as he forgave me, so I forgive you. Over and over again, the Bible offers the resource of forgiveness to us to respond to those who have wronged us, to go ahead and extend to them the grace that has been extended to us through God at the cross. We don't want them to be seeing in us a bad example of his grace. We who have been forgiven much ought also to forgive. 
if they don't see forgiveness from us, how will they believe? Will they not miss the grace of God if they can't see forgiveness in his people? That's the point of Jesus teaching you. You've been forgiven much, can you forgive? You understand what the gospel has meant to you? Then you have to be willing to forgive them, not repay them. Love them, not hate them. Jesus did not make you and me pay. But if we keep making them pay, we will all get poorer and poorer and poorer. Do not take revenge, fourthly, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, he says in Romans 12, 19. Esau was planning to kill Jacob. Jacob had deceived him, and in his own selfishness, he had gone along with with this bad bargain, and he had given up his inheritance, and now he regretted it. Somebody's going to pay. It's going to be my brother Jacob. As soon as my father dies, he's history. Surely bitterness welled up within him. It's dripping with this passage in Genesis. But he's not the only angry one. Notice again the last verse of the passage. Verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living with these Hittite, because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife among the women of this land from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Don't know the reasons, but Rebecca's not happy. She's very unhappy. She's trying to arrange her son's marriage to make sure that he would not marry a Hittite woman among whom they lived, sending him away to his uncle Laban that he might have someone from his community, far from there. Anger has made her life not worth living if certain things don't work out. She's deeply and profoundly wrathful. Esau's willing to admit it. Rebecca admits it by her own words in another way. Whatever it was that they did, she is angry about it, and she will not surrender her son or any part of her family to their control. Maybe not vengeful, she is nevertheless consumed by it. So do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. This requires another layer of circumspection. First of all, we acknowledge that we're angry, and we look within us to say, what is it that's making me so angry? What is it that's threatened that's making me so angry? And then what should my response be? My response should be, let it go. Let it go to God. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. He makes things right. He cares about righteousness. If you've been treated unfairly, he will not remain silent forever. And he will exact his vengeance in a perfect, balanced way. We know that our anger often causes us to smash things. 
His doesn't. His anger is always redemptive, helpful, and leaves the, the door open for repentance. We don't. We write people off. Rebecca and these Hittite women, I want nothing to do with them ever again. No way, no how. God becomes very angry with Israel and with others, but he always leaves the door open. So first of all, as I say, be, be aware of the anger in your life and ask yourself, what is it that I'm defending? What is it that's become so important to me that I must have it or everyone else is going to hear about it and things are going to get smashed and broken? And then remember that the people you're dealing with could miss the grace of God for you if you're going to react in a selfish and smashing way. You, in a sense, are writing them out of the kingdom of God. Fourthly, don't take revenge. Though it may lie within your power, as Esau considered killing Jacob, surely he could have done it, just as Cain killed Abel, but let God repay. Let him settle scores. This requires a patience and a trust that pleases the Heavenly Father. If we say, okay, Lord, you take it, you deal with it. This is especially hard, of course, if control is what we're after. If, if control is what's being threatened, then to surrender that control not only to the other but also to God is doubly hard. But nevertheless, fruitful. For he has set a warning to say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And then I have a fifth one that I didn't I added uh, later in the week after this outline was done. Listen to these words from James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That sort of summarizes the counsel that we've been given so far. When you feel yourself, the, 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 the rise of anger within you, slow it down. Slow everything down. You know how it is. We, we smash things when we react quickly, without care, and we break things. The Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm when there's a difficult situation. So slow it down, James says, chapter 1, verse 19. Slow the process down. Which takes us back through the first four things. Why am I angry? What have they done that has threatened me? What is it that they've threatened? Has what they have threatened become too important to me? So that I would react in an unchristian and almost thoughtless manner? And am I, and by so doing, am I creating an illustration and an example not of the grace of God, but of the foolishness of man? And have I said, I'm going to take things in my own hand rather than saying, the Lord says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
Proverbs 14, verse 29, whoever is patient, whoever slows this down, has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So we make fools of ourselves if we will not pay attention. Everyone understands what it is to lose one's temper or to become angry. We've all had that experience. But when we do this, we make fools of ourselves and we, we may even create a bad impression for Christians and unbelievers who, who need grace. But we must look into these things. Otherwise, bitterness will grow. A root of bitterness, as, as the writer to the Hebrews mentions, will grow up within us. And so when I say tamp it down, when I say slow it down, I don't mean internalize it entirely. I don't mean put it all within your heart and let it run around inside of you and eat away at your soul. What I mean is set a watch upon your lips. Be circumspect about how you respond when you feel threatened, opposed, or mistreated. And so for final application this morning, if you hold on to accounts owed you, instead of tearing them up, you will get poorer and poorer. If you make the payment and forgive, you will get rich and finally be free. Absolutely practical and true. You may be holding on to this morning one or more slights that occurred to you long ago. Somebody said something about you. Somebody did something to you that you have never forgotten or forgiven. It still has a hold on you. It still shapes your life. Instead of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that statement or that treatment has shaped your life. Let it go. Don't take it into eternity. Don't take it through the last of your days. For look at Jesus. When he paid our accounts instead of demanding payment, he became rich. Look at him. He is rich. Jesus said it's possible if you become really angry to, in fact, commit murder from the inside out. That's a capital crime. It can lead to very serious consequences. And it can shape our life and imprison us and chain us now. Let's admit the seriousness of the issue. This is one of the deadly sins. Anger will become bitterness and will eat you up. Let it go. Well, they haven't asked for forgiveness. They haven't come to make it right. Indeed. They may even be dead and unable to do so. That doesn't mean you can't respond. That doesn't mean you and I can't do the right thing when mistreated. And that we can't carry these accounts to God and say, let it go. 
God is pleased with us when we take his word and apply it. As I say, it's not mean that we could never be angry or that life itself, uh, that God himself does not respond with anger at times, but in the meantime, let us take mostly what is ungodly anger and give it to him and ask him to manage it for us. Let us pray. All of us, Lord, can think of someone or some instance where we have been wronged. Certainly treated badly, even if we deserved it. They, they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. They could have used a fly swatter and they used an atomic bomb. They overdid it. And maybe we were wrong, but the way they acted was just over the top. And we've carried it and carried it and carried it with us. And even today, we feel it eating away at our insides, impeding our relationship with you and causing us to be distorted. It distorted Esau's life and Rebecca's. It, restored, it distorted Cain's life and so many others. And it will wreck us if we do not follow the path of our Lord Jesus Christ and accept the forgiveness for them that he has also offered to us and be able to say to them, I forgive you. This is very difficult, Lord, and cannot be done apart from the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit, come, we pray, and bring peace that we might live in peace with all men, even those who are dead and gone and can no longer plague us, that our consciences might be clear and our hearts pure before you, and that we might repay what we received with grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. So help us, Lord. This is serious. It, It really does bother us, as you know. May you be glorified as you help us heal. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.